Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. That's the sound of a military exercise in the South China Sea, broadcasted last week on Chinese state-run television. China has been amping up drills near Taiwan ever since the recent visit of Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. But the tensions between China and Taiwan are actually nothing new. So if we're talking about what's happening right now, we have to go back to 1949 when the communists win the Chinese Civil War and establish the People's Republic of China. James Griffiths, our Asia correspondent, is visiting Toronto. I spoke to him in our studio. Beijing has always claimed sovereignty over Taiwan, despite never controlling it. And it's threatened to invade numerous times if, quote unquote, peaceful unification cannot be achieved. And does Taiwan think of itself as independent? That is a complicated question. Taiwan is de facto independent. It has its own government. It has uh, elections. It, people have passports. Uh, you know, it, it is the most country-like entity that is not officially a country. It's not recognized by the UN. It's not recognized by most other countries in the world. But it, you know, for all intents and purposes, it is a separate country. But officially, it's not. And so when China sees the U.S making these gestures like having Nancy Pelosi go or you know having congressional visits we also saw a number of high level visits during the Trump administration they get concerned because they they see it as you know encouraging quote unquote separatism and you know emboldening people in Taiwan who would like to declare formal independence or would at least like to ensure that there is a sufficient military deterrent to prevent China ever invading Taiwan the geopolitics are clearly so delicate and there's another tiny, microscopic thing to consider. It's so powerful that it creates what people call the Silicon Shield, potentially protecting Taiwan from a Chinese invasion. We're talking about the advanced semiconductors that Taiwan makes. James will tell us what semiconductors are, why the world runs on them, and why they may be protecting Taiwan, at least for now. This is The Decibel. James, thanks so much for being here today. It's great to be here. So you might hear that I'm wearing a mask today. My my voice may be a little bit more muffled. To start here, James, I want to just begin with the basics. What exactly is a semiconductor? So people probably understand the idea of what a microchip is. Mm. Uh, microchip is what powers our phones, our computers, most technology. And a semiconductor essentially, to put it very basically, is what powers a microchip. So within a microchip, there are literally billions of semiconductors, these tiny transistors that help the microchip do what it needs to do. And they are incredibly you know, ridiculously small. So the smallest, the current top of the range uh, semiconductors measure about five nanometers, which is already a tiny, you know, a nanometer is a tiny, tiny um, measurement. And to put it in context, a human red blood cell is 7,000 nanometers wide. Wow. So this is, you, you okay. know, an order of, I want to say an order of magnitude, but it's an order of minitude uh, <laughs> compared to, to, you know, something that we might even be able to conceive of. This is, you know, huh. 
unbelievably small. And, and that makes them, as you can imagine, very, very difficult to manufacture. It's a very specialized process. A lot of it has to happen within a vacuum because even dust can screw up this manufacturing process, can stop these things working. And Taiwan, since the 1970s, has emerged as the place to manufacture the top-of-the-range semiconductors. And it's just light years ahead of most of its competitors. And so how important are semiconductors, in, I guess, in terms of the global economy? Like, is this something pretty essential then? Yeah, I mean, hugely essential. Uh, you know, the, the comparison that's often given, you'll see, is, oh, that your, your phone is as powerful as the computer that powered the Apollo spacecraft. And, you know, even that puts it way too lightly. You know, your phone is about 100,000 times more powerful. And that's mm-hmm. because of this miniaturization of um, computer chips powered by semiconductors. And so everything that we, we do in terms of advanced technology, from smartphones and electronic vehicles to even advanced fighter jets, things like that, And then to to say nothing of the next generation of technology, when we talk about autonomous vehicles and we talk about artificial intelligence, that all depends on semiconductors and on producing these top of the range chips. And that, while a lot of the research and the, the, the kind of science happens around the world and it is spread out all over the world, the manufacturing of that almost all of all the advanced chips happens in Taiwan. And how much actually are we talking of this manufacturing actually happens in Taiwan? Yeah, so when we talk about these five nanometer chips, which are the top, the current top of the range ones, but they were all, already heading towards three nanometers, um, 92% of those are made in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And the majority made by one company, the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, or TSMC. Hmm. Okay, so it sounds like this is a, a really essential piece of equipment. Then, like this is in our phones, it's in cars, any kind of technology that we use these days. Let's connect these dots then here, James. Why is Taiwan's semiconductor industry, why is this relevant to the current geopolitical tensions here? China imports the vast majority of its semiconductors. It does have a domestic industry and it's been trying to build it up, but it still imports most of them. And so the, the theory is that were you to have a war over Taiwan, you know, it's inevitable that that would create supply chain chaos for semiconductors. You know, you you can't have a war without disruption, right? And potentially, you could see Taiwan destroy its its semiconductor factories as a way to kind of spike China and, you know, know, stop China from getting control of them. And so the economic damage that would do to China, the huge disruption it would cause to China's, um, you know, economic and technological um, goals is so high that there's this kind of theory that's called the Silicon Shield. And that's the idea that this is protecting Taiwan from an invasion because the disruption of just the semiconductor industry would be too costly for China to consider. How did Taiwan become so dominant in this? Like, I guess I'm wondering, was there a concerted effort to to build up this industry on purpose? So, yes, there was. Uh, you know, the Taiwanese government and a number of Taiwanese companies just showed what, in retrospect, is incredible foresight and in recognizing how important this industry was going to be. So in the 1970s, when semiconductors were still relatively dominated by the US, there was an agreement struck between Taiwanese government, several Taiwanese companies, and this um, US tech firm, Radio Corporation of America, which no longer exists, to transfer key semiconductor technology to the island. And that helped kind of create the genesis of the modern Taiwanese semiconductor industry. But more importantly than that was this decision by TSMC, and they just hyper-focused on manufacturing. And they created these, we call they're called foundries, where you create semiconductors. And they focused on that. And what, what 
that has resulted in the, the, the amount of investment and innovation over over the decades since resulted in the fact that TSMC is the world leading manufacturer of semiconductors. And you know, when we're talking about the top of the range ones, it is just you know far and away the leader. Hmm. Where else do we see semiconductors actually being manufactured than right now? So when we talk about kind of ten nanometer or, or greater size semiconductors, there slightly easier to make and that or, or maybe not slightly easier but the technology is proven and and it's you know it's it's less kind of cutting edge innovation and so we we see these manufactured you know China has a decent size manufacturing things but they're they're generally lagging behind um in terms of kind of miniaturization mm. um and in the US and and even in Canada we see there is some semiconductor manufacturing hmm. so i would imagine that China then does want to build up or would want to build up their own semiconductor industry. What exactly is China doing right now, I guess, you know, on on purpose in a, with a concerted effort in order to catch up with Taiwan in this area? Yeah, so China has pumped hundreds of billions of dollars uh, into improving its own domestic uh, semiconductor industry. There's a leading company, uh, the Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corporation, uh, SMIC, uh, they've had billions of dollars of investment, huge government support. Um, there was a lot of excitement recently. They kind of they cracked the seven nanometer barrier, or however we want to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's still that's still like five years behind. So so you know even with all of this money coming in, China is still lagging behind. And that's that's you know that's not unique to China. The U.S. has also invested a lot of money. They're not at the same level when it comes to manufacturing. Even if you pump in tons of money today, it's not going to pay off for a long time. Hmm. So currently, China is not at a place to compete with Taiwan. But because they're working on it, what what will it mean when China does eventually catch up or is able to compete here? Yeah, and this is kind of the flaw in the silicon shield model right if you take the silicon shield theory at face value and say well taiwan's semiconductor industry is too valuable for for china to invade like you said what happens if if that is no longer the case what happens if china has a competitive semiconductor industry does that then create something of a green light for an invasion because you know this barrier has gone away and 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 I think that is of great concern to Taiwan, um, and and you know, and they're not facing just pressure from China in this regard. Uh, the U.S., Japan, a number of other countries are, you know, pursuing domestic semiconductor manufacturing because of concerns around having, um, you know, the, this choke point in an incredibly volatile part of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so the Silicon Shield, you know, definitely has um, a best by date, and it and it is approaching, and will kind of. You know, we're in a position where we have to wait and see what that means geopolitically and militarily. Hmm. So, so yeah, the Silicon Shield is effective today, but it might not necessarily be down the road then. Yeah, and and it's you know, it's important to know it's debatable whether it's effective today, right? Hmm. You know, that is applying a kind of rational economic uh, model to uh, you know a very political project and to wars, you know. I think everyone did not expect, you know, rationally, Russia should not have invaded Ukraine from a kind of economic perspective and the damage that it did to the Russian economy. It didn't stop them from doing so. And so it's not necessarily certain that China would not invade Taiwan just to protect the semiconductor industry. Yeah, that's a good point to keep in mind. Uh, you mentioned the U.S. a little bit. So let's let's actually talk about uh, the states here. What is the U.S. doing in order to to not be so reliant on these Taiwanese semiconductors? Because I would imagine they don't necessarily appreciate being so reliant on somewhere else for this. Yeah, and to a certain extent, the U.S. has 
created this problem. They helped create both through investment and support the Taiwanese manufacturing things. You know, the TSMC grew to the size it is because of contracts with US companies and it you know, makes chips for Apple, makes chips for Intel and things like that. You know, the a vast majority of the innovation and the research has has always been happening in the US. That that's where the cutting edge um kind of science happens. But then the manufacturing is farmed out to Taiwan. And yeah, like you said, there has been a realization that this is not necessarily the safest reality. Um, and so there is, has been a big effort. Uh, the Biden administration has announced some $50 billion worth of investment into kind of fostering a domestic manufacturing. TSMC actually is building a plant uh, in Arizona. They're also building a plant in Japan. You know, that there is, they're starting to become this offshoring of this manufacturing from Taiwan. Um, but yeah, everyone is quite belatedly waking up to the risks presented by this choke point in the in the semiconductor supply chain. You know, even if China was dominant, if 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 you flipped this and China was the dominant semiconductor manufacturer in the world, probably most U.S. companies would not be sourcing semiconductors from them. There is there is a you know a, a real security concern in doing that. You know, in the same way that we've seen, you know, Canadians are very familiar with U.S. concerns over Huawei. You know, the same reason that right. the U.S. and other co- countries don't want. Chinese companies building their 5G, they wouldn't want necessarily want a Chinese company building the semiconductors that power their fighter jets or power their, you know, top of the range computers. Where Where is Canada in, in this conversation about semiconductors? Yeah, so, you know, Canada has a, a small but, you know, decent sized semiconductor sector. It, it does a, a lot of quite specialized manufacturing. It's not, you know, cutting edge like like TSMC, but it, it does do some stuff. And and the Canadian government has, has recognized that, that Canada, like Every country in the world essentially would be at risk of this supply chain being disrupted. And so the Minister of Innovation, François-Philippe Champagne, he said, we want to see Canada be home to the world's leading semiconductor manufacturers. And while that's probably a little bit ambitious, Mm -hmm. um, it's certain that Canada, like a lot of countries, is starting to see, look, we need to have at least some kind of footprint in this area it to you know maybe alleviate the damage, but you know realistically, were Taiwan to be disrupted, Canada is going to be sourcing chips from the U.S. or from from Korea and a number of other countries. They're not going to suddenly turn around and make them domestically. Just lastly, here, James, Beijing has conducted a number of military drills since Pelosi's visit. How much of an actual concern right now is there that China might actually invade? Yeah, so I think it's important to distinguish between. The very legitimate concerns over having military drills in the Taiwan Strait, which is a very small, uh, very narrow piece of water, is very militarized. There is U.S. engagement in the area. There's Taiwanese forces, there's Chinese forces. You know, the danger that something goes wrong in a military drill, that, you know, God forbid, a plane gets shot down or something like that, and this spins out of control. That is a very real, genuine risk that we shouldn't diminish. At the same time, these drills are not a precursor to an invasion. Any invasion of Taiwan would be the largest amphibious um, military operation in history. It would dwarf, you know, the D-Day landings, the Incheon landings during the Korean War. You know, this is something would be an order of magnitude larger than anything we've ever seen happen in the Taiwan Strait. And because of that, we would see it coming for a very, very long time. This is not something you can do in, plan in secret. That you'd have to move forces to southern China. You would have to get this huge number of amphibious um, vehicles ready to go across the strait. If people think back to the run-up to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we saw Russia moving all of its military to the border. Mm. And we, you know, we knew this was coming. The US was jumping up and down saying there's going to be an invasion. And the same thing would happen with, with any invasion of Taiwan. Um, you know, that's not to say 
there couldn't be some kind of surprise attack. There could be missile attacks, um, bombings, absolutely. And that would be, you know, devastating for the people of Taiwan. It would potentially, you know, be devastating for security in the region, but it would still not be an invasion. And so I think that's it's always very important to keep in context that as tense as the situation is and as potentially dangerous as the situation is, there's no reason to think that China is about to invade Taiwan. James, thank you so much for helping us understand this today. Thank you. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our summer producer is Zara Kozema. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.